Welcome to Disruptive Branding by Saffron Brand Consultants. In this podcast, we will share the most important insights that we have gathered from several decades of working closely with some of the world's most disruptive brands. We will show how every business, startup to enterprise, can design its brand using disruptive thought and action. From how-to sessions with members of our executive team to conversations with our clients, learn firsthand how to position your brand to compete with disruptive challenges and to challenge and disrupt yourself. Welcome to a very special edition of the Disruptive Branding Podcast. I'm Zara, the Marketing Manager here at Saffron, and today I'm joined by Fernando, our Chief Strategy Officer, and Ben, our Chief Growth Officer, to discuss our latest report, Post-COVID, what brands need to do next. Download it now on the thinking section of our website. So we've had many conversations about the effects of the pandemic within Saffron. And my conclusion is that our collective general outlook is that the pandemic hasn't drastically changed consumer mindsets overnight, but it has accelerated a shift in mindset that's been happening throughout our recent history. Ben, could you tell us a little bit more about this shift? Yeah, I think what um, you're seeing is um, companies uh, looking to the inside and to the outside to um, ensure that as their employees work ever more decentralized and as their customers use uh, ever broader ways to interact with them, they're able to retain their authenticity and their relevance uh, in that context. So specifically for people that work for these companies, um, brands are having to work harder to maintain um, a cohe- cohesive culture um, uh, and, uh, and an understanding amongst employees what the company cares about, what it's about, um, and what drives it, uh, even if they don't meet in offices uh, day in, day out. Um, and for customers um, to portray, again, uh, a cohesive, i.e. authentic and relevant and differentiated uh, brand image uh, when customers don't enter into physical stores, um, or perhaps uh, live all the way across the world from uh, where that company has uh, its main locations, i.e. they're using digital touch points um, on their mobiles and, and, and other, um, uh, other machines to interact with that brand. And so what about purpose? We talk a lot about, kind of about brands and needing to have a purpose. Why, why is that? In a context of um, post-pandemic, uh, a lot of employees are asking, uh, why do I work at this place? What makes it special? What makes it different? What makes this software development company? What makes this luxury um, uh, group? What makes this um, a services business any different to another one that I would be qualified uh, to work in? Um, and purpose, i.e. some greater contribution that the company makes um, to society um, and that they can make to that company um, is a really differentiating and motivating factor. If a, if a company is able to clearly project how working here will make a difference uh, in a big way, um, that's a very attractive proposition, especially to younger uh, members of the workforce. Yeah, so I guess we, we know that this can be kind of a challenge for some companies. And I guess it's quite difficult to really nail down that purpose and, and make sure that it actually works, engages with, with the brand's audience. So in this report, we really wanted not just to be sort of theoretical, but actually to provide really useful, tangible takeaways that brands can begin to implement right from today. So when you read the report, it's split into an internal focus. So looking, as you were saying, Ben, at kind of the engaging the workforce in a post-COVID world. 
And then secondly, that external focus. So looking into how to engage with your customers. So Fernando, if we look at kind of the, the internal focus to begin with, so obviously every individual, every person is an individual and the effects of the pandemic have been different for everyone. But if we talk super generally about the changes that we've seen in the mindset of employees, what are we seeing? Obviously, I think the, the, the most dramatic change that you see throughout different countries, different industries, and actually even ourselves here at Saffron is just the need for more flexibility. You mentioned at the very beginning, um, Zara, that um, the pandemic has accelerated trends. And one big trend that has emerged already for years in the workforce uh, with employees is the need for an increased flexibility, a flexibility of where they are executing and delivering other value-added work they do on a daily basis. Uh, and the pandemic definitely has accelerated uh, the need to seek for um, different variants, different options, different ways uh, for uh, that flexibility that employees need as to physically where the work uh, uh, place is. So therefore, we have now many, many different models that we see throughout different clients and even ourselves on this combination between uh, do I work in a fixed workspace? Do I come to an office? Can I work abroad? Um, so all these different elements that actually constitute that additional flexibility that employees are working is, is very, very much, pretty much even here at Saffron for us at the executive level, Ben and I are discussing that with our colleagues on a, almost on a daily basis, you know, what would be the optimal. And we definitely see that across the board. So just building on what Fernando was saying about flexibility, Ben, how do we, in a post-COVID world, what do we need to really think about? Well, let's be clear. Um, a, a lot of clients of ours and in conversations that we have also with our partners, um, we hear fear. And the fear is people are going to be working from home. They're going to be working from wherever and they're going to be uh, more flexible than ever before, as Fernando was talking about. And rightly or wrongly, managers, company owners are concerned that productivity may go down, um, that absenteeism will go up that people will just pay less attention to work and be more concerned with the health and well-being of their family and, and, and whatever, all important and valid concerns. But of course, there's this um, relationship of employer and employee and, and uh, uh, companies and brands want to make sure that they have a productive and, and motivated um, uh, staff. Um, and, and it's never been, therefore, in my opinion, more important um, to have a brand that really speaks to people. It's, it's, there's never been a time where the old adage of good enough isn't good enough um, is, is more true. If you have a brand that speaks to people, that, that really um, motivates them, that, if you will, touches their heart and, and, and that they understand what role they play uh, in it and of it achieving its greater purpose, they'll show up with more motivation um, they'll um, bring their, you know, the best version of themselves um, to the tasks that they're assigned to or, or, or that they choose to work on. And so um, a brand, uh, an effective employer uh, brand, um, uh, just as much as an effective consumer facing brand um, isn't, is, is far from optional um, and mediocre um, just isn't going to cut it. And people will um, pay less attention and people will leave um, if the brand isn't compelling enough. Um, and so, uh, you know, if you only take one thing away from this, it's, it's that 
um, you should concern yourself with ensuring that um, you define what your purpose is um, and then uh, allow people to work towards that um, uh, in, in any way that they can and uh, whatever their responsibility may be. And, and actually, it's super, super interesting. I cannot uh, coincide more with what Ben is, is saying. Uh, it's interesting because when you look back over the past year or the last 15 months and you see all what brands have done, kind of like, you know, trying to react to all what was unfolding in front of us, right? They were trying to really almost sometimes change aspects of the brand, trying to change almost their essence just to be in line maybe with what society or the external world was actually expecting of them. And this is where things become difficult and dangerous because obviously it's a question of adapting, as we say, but the adaptation you need to do, again, needs to be aligned with who you actually are. So what I'm trying to say here is if you are a business that your essence is maybe not about caring for whatever reason, just don't try to force it in now to really build into your brand these caring elements just because maybe society is much more demanded that of brands. Obviously, you need to find ways to adapt more to that, but you can't change who you are overnight because it's just not going to come across as authentic. So definitely I invite everyone to revise who, who they are, what they stand for, what their purpose is, what they want, what they offer society and their audiences beyond just their customers, that is employees, providers, society at large and so forth. Understand the forces of change and see and, and evaluate within what they are, what the brand stands for, how best to align with that. So the message here, we've seen so many examples of people or brands frivolously making those changes and absolutely backfiring on them. I mean, think, think, of, a, think of a friend that says to you, uh, how can I get you to like me more? Or how can I, how can I be more so that you'll want to trust me more? Or what, how should I speak so that uh, you'll, you'll think I'm cooler? Uh, you know, that, that, that immediately disqualifies them as, a, as someone that you'll trust and someone that you'll spend time with. And the same is true with, with brands. You know, brands have to have a certain set of beliefs. And that comes from the people that work there. It comes from leadership. It comes from the history of that company. It comes from the ambitions that they have for the future. Yes, you have to be relevant. And of course, you shouldn't miscommunicate. And of course, you shouldn't, um, uh, be, you know, uh, miss the chance to connect with uh, your employees and with people outside. But fundamentally, you need to have convictions, you need to have purpose, and you need to act on them. Um, and then you will attract um, uh, the right kinds of audiences, the right kinds of employees will find you, the right kinds of customers will find you. And that's perhaps the interesting part about our work is that, of course, we have the enormous privilege to work alongside um, designers. And, and, and the power there is that you can craft um, that message, you can craft that purpose and identity, and then you can project it to the world through the power, the enormous power of design, um, and have people find you. Um, because, of course, uh, just knowing what you're about isn't enough. You have to you know, help other people to know what you're about as well. Um, and design is really, really effective at, uh, at doing that. You know, just look at what it does uh, for Apple or look at what it does for um, on the on the other end of that spectrum or, or you know, on the other end of that industry for, for Microsoft. Um, you know, both 
um, computer and, and, and cloud computing companies, um, but project themselves in very, very different ways through design and therefore attract quite different types of people toward their, uh, their products and their service. So yeah, don't chase what you think people want to hear. Um, make up your own mind as a group of people internally and of course say it in ways that are relevant to people out there but don't think that you can find out what you should be about from a consumer survey or from a, uh, a study amongst uh, uh, you know whatever demographic it is that you're going for. And are there any clients we know that we've we work with a lot of clients on on this idea of you know employee value proposition and especially in this kind of in this post-covid world uh, one of the clients that we worked with was was Explore, um, and we really worked with them, um, you know, from the beginning, you know, crafting the brand right through to kind of the implementation of this employee value proposition, um, all throughout sort of you know the, this this pandemic. So, can you tell us a little bit about? how this brand has kind of has has managed to yeah. to do this yeah actually it's it's a fantastic um, case we actually mentioned in the report actually i was involved myself in the project i mean explore is is a conglomerate uh, software conglomerate with over 3000 employees actually located in almost more than 150 countries and in this global holistic rebrand and culture culture exercise we did uh, one of the ideas throughout also the pandemic was to really develop their employee value proposition um, and how to go about that, especially in the pandemic times. Well, obviously, uh, due to these physical restraints we had, there was a lot happening online or using technology to actually seek that. Uh, but the importance of the EVP uh, was for the times they were actually going through uh, in the history of the company uh, was of an extreme importance because the EVP and the purpose in, uh, contained in the EVP really made it much more tangible for employees on the direction uh, the organization expected uh, from all the 3,000 employees across uh, the different continents they had. So um, the EVP literally gave the teams a much more, call it a, a tangible expression of why literally they get out of bed every day? You know, why should they actually, you know, turn on their screen every day and connect with their colleagues uh, in different places, especially in the case of Explore, uh, where the teams are literally working in many, many different time zones. Well, sometimes it can be strenuous for the teams, you know, having to connect at odd hours uh, in the evening or at night or early mornings. Uh, and the purpose really and the EVP really gave them that north line to really also give meaning uh, to why they actually were doing all those sacrifices. Yeah, it's interesting. I think throughout the throughout the pandemic, one of the kind of the tangible kind of takeaways that we've seen um, something quite quite interesting is with is with Starbucks as one of our kind of best in class examples. Um, the way they've actually looked to rather than kind of staying the same and kind of assessing their employees exactly the same, giving them the same rewards as they always did for their work, they've really actually kind of pivoted with the, they've kind of seen the what's happening, what their employees are experiencing, and have pivoted to ensure that they're kind of meeting their employees where they want to be met so that they get the most out of them. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about how kind of brands can think about sort of reassessing their metrics and their kind of reward systems in, in light of the, the pandemic? 
Sure. I actually mentioned Starbucks that we uh, referred to in the, in the report. I mean, Starbucks, is, as I always define it, is the father of it all, of the experience economy. So it's not really a surprise that Starbucks is also pretty much taking the lead on this transition and into this post-pandemic world of um, having a, a, an extremely heavily retail-focused operation, very much associated and aligned with heavy retail KPIs, uh, obviously uh, with... Uh, the reduction of the footfall of people actually visiting Starbucks to get their breakfast or their coffees. They, as you mentioned, they very much revamped and really rethought also the KPIs. And interestingly there, and that applies to many other industries or many companies that we should feel, should feel identified with this move, is literally to review and analyze, engage to which extent all the business KPIs that we are uh, uh, employing uh, how they would have to be revamped. And this whole idea on how the interaction with our different audiences beyond just customers is hum somehow changing due to the pandemic that needs to be incorporated and integrated in the KPIs. Going back to the Starbucks example, the KPI that they actually tried to introduce due to this was something much more aligned with the actual relationship, the actual interaction with our potential customers that they call the moments of, of connection. So literally a metric that well recognizes that employees are doing something special to a colleague, a customer or the community. So literally going beyond the more traditional retail uh, metric. So it's, it's an example and I think every industry and every company needs to think about that. You know, how can we introduce into our more traditional set of business KPIs uh, things that uh, address much more the times we live in and that new relationship that we're not going to have only with customers, but with all of our audiences. Yeah, and I, and I think we've seen that, for example, even before the pandemic, you know, when it comes to the the, the online experience and how particularly in retail, I remember we, we used to talk about we can no longer look at, you know, sort of sales assistant in a store as being measured only on the amount of, products they sell because now the store experience has sort of changed from being, you know, you must buy something in the store as more of sort of an experiential, get involved with the brand, feel the brand at different touch points, and then maybe you buy later. And it's that connection. Exactly. So really it's not the it's not that the pandemic has changed this. It's that as we say, the pandemic is accelerating, you know, a trend that's already that's already happening. So the next area that we that we were looking at um, in the report is the external focus. So Ben, if the consumer mindset has changed and the focus is now, as we were saying, on brand purpose, what are some tangible ways that brands can really turn this brand purpose into something really actionable? Um, so the first thing is to take seriously um, society's and employees' concern for what's come to be called the environmental, social, and governance, uh, governance agenda. Um, so we didn't only face the largest global pandemic in, in modern history in 2021. We also saw um, you know, a lot of social unrest uh, due to you know, government-imposed quarantines, movements like Black Lives Matter, and so on. So a lot of people suffered from anxiety, frustration with lockdowns, um, and uh, judged brands that in this context um, didn't do justice um, to their expectations. And so quite rightly, a lot of brands have been setting ESG agendas, as, as, as I said, they've been uh, started to be called um, what might have been called before corporate social responsibility um, factors into this. Um, and 
customers have found and also potential employees and existing employees of, of businesses have found the ESG agenda that a business sets or does not set or sets but doesn't follow in some cases uh, as a very interesting way, very relevant way in judging whether a company does as it says it will do and whether it has a broader role to play vis-a-vis -vis the purpose that you were um, talking about before. And, and the way that we look at ESG initiatives um, is is through the same three factors that we look at any brand, in fact, which is, um, is the ESG um, agenda and initiative that they set differentiated? Is it authentic to who they are? Um, and is it relevant to the context, the community um, that they operate um, in? Absolutely. And, and if our listeners want to uh, get some, some great examples, um, some best practice examples, they can download the, uh, the full report on our, on our website. And they definitely should. So when it comes to um, the brand experience, so experience is this classic, is this classic kind of branding buzzword um, that is, we're always talking about. But what does, it actually, what does it actually really mean, a holistic brand experience? So um, a brand doesn't start and finish with uh, experiencing the product or the service. Uh, we become aware of a brand in a very often um, unremarkable way at some point in our lives, um, very often early on in our lives, if it's a long-standing brand and if it is lucky enough to still be around as we grow older. Um, and uh, we then uh, have residual impressions of that brand uh, very early on. Uh, and we come back to it perhaps later on in life. So an example is I've been familiar with a car brand Volvo uh, for my whole life. My, my uh, parents used to own one. Um, as I've grown older, that became part of the relevant set of cars that I might like to choose. Um, I didn't end up buying a Volvo, but it certainly was part of my circle of consideration when it came time to purchase a vehicle later on in my life. Um, and uh, then you go through the actual experience of buying, of interacting with the product. Uh, if you like it, you tell others about it or you tell others not to, uh, to buy it or to interact with it. Um, and you become a repeat customer or, or whatever the case may be. And so this customer experience that we talk about moves really from being a one-off interaction with uh, a product like buying a bottle of fizzy drink, drinking it and um, uh, tossing the, the bottle into a recycling bin, hopefully, um, to becoming really something that uh, can last over many, many decades. And that is uh, the, the sum total of many interactions, big and small, uh, in which your expectations have either been met or exceeded, hopefully, um, or not, as is more often the case, um, and you feel some sense of disappointment or uh, some jaded sense of, well, I didn't expect that much from them um, to begin with. And these are opportunities, uh, this journey that you have, this experience journey that you have, is an opportunity, of course, for brands to um, engage you, to excite you, to exceed your expectations. Um, and as we see that higher and higher percentage um, of people um, interact with uh, brands, as our research suggests in the report, um, over a quarter um, of people now interact with brands uh, in a mostly digital, mostly online um, way. Of course, digital touch points have become very much a focus of attention um, over the past uh, five or even more years. The truth, however, of course, is that not all experiences are digital and that it, uh, while a lot of attention is being paid to this, um, the entire experience must be managed and, and, and this is a long-term uh, endeavor. So one-offs can contribute to that uh, overall experience, but they are just that. They're only one-offs and they have to be seen as a, 
as a one part in, in, in a longer line of experiences that will shape the opinion um, of either someone who is considering to go to work for that brand or is considering to buy a product from that brand or a service. Just to actually build on what um, uh, Ben was describing, I think there are a couple of interesting aspects that builds upon that. Uh, one thing that we see quite often over the past months, even years, is that obviously that we have many, many more clients and brands that are digital first and that it's all about digital. And it's interesting to see when you go across uh, the industry of all things digital that experience has almost been a concept that's been hijacked by digitalists. That is, it seems that there is only a digital experience and that there can't be any longer a, a physical or an offline experience. I think in the report based on the data we show, yes, you have either the mostly online or actually the mostly in real life. But this convergence happening more and more, especially with the acceleration of pandemics, probably hopefully we won't see more, but the idea is that we might see more, is this idea how both will be able to interact together. And uh, the idea here is for our listeners is that experience is everything and it lives both in the digital world, but also still very much in the physical. And the recent times we've seen with the pandemic has forced or accelerated this idea on how we can make both work together. So that's the first thing. The second thing which is interesting and we see that often with clients when they approach us is that it seems that within the realms of experience everything is possible and everything can be done. Yes, maybe technically everything is possible and everything can be done but obviously us as brand strategists we always want to remind everyone and we believe that that experience needs to be what we call on brand. The brand and what you stand for and your brand strategy and your purpose and your attributes and your personality and all what constitutes your brand strategy should be the filter for whatever that experience is, be it both offline, physical or digital. Yeah, I totally agree. So I think, so I think when it comes down to it, the pandemic has kind of affected us a lot. Everything has been disrupted, but this isn't something completely new. So brands need to really find their purpose and express it in a differentiated, relevant and authentic way on both an internal and external level. So the brands that succeed in a post-pandemic world will be the ones that harness this disruption and emerge stronger on the other side. So to learn more about this topic, download the full report on saffron-consultants.com forward slash thinking. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, Fernando. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Disruptive Branding. If you're liking our very first podcast series, please subscribe and feel free to give us a like or write us a review wherever you get your podcasts. It helps other brand lovers find us.